And so finally we get to verse 13 of this. And it says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And and John, excuse me, tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. This is a significant emergence of Jesus from his many years of obscurity. These first works in his public ministry carry great meaning in understanding the rest of his ministry. No one compelled Jesus to be baptized. He came to John of his own choice. John recognized the inherent irony in this situation. Jesus had nothing to repent of, and it would be more appropriate for Jesus to baptize John. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. We've spent quite a bit of time in this chapter, certainly a lot to discuss and look at. And this morning we're going to finish the chapter, but I'd like to... Just summarize chapter 3, and then uh, we'll get into verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Uh, It says that in those days uh, that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea in his baptism that he would offer to anyone who would come would be a baptism of repentance. And, uh, And it says that many would come to him from Jerusalem, from Judea, and all the regions around the Jordan they would come out to this desert place uh, to be baptized of John for repentance and for the remission of sins. That was what his job, if you will, was. That was his ministry. That's what God had called him to do. And in the process of doing that, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees also came out. And John, by the Spirit of God, knowing their hearts... They weren't really coming for repentance sake because they thought that they were holy already and that everybody else was beneath them. And so John had some pretty harsh words for them uh, and, and hopefully it would jostle them to bring them to repentance. And we know that that didn't really work um, because their hearts had become so hardened. In fact, they would not only be uh, instrumental in encouraging John's death, and ultimately Herod would kill him, would behead him in the prison at Mercurius. But these same Pharisees would be the ones that would stand up against their own Savior, their own Messiah, Jesus Christ, who had been prophesied for hundreds of years, even a few thousand years. They would stand up against him and say, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to be ruler over us. 
And isn't that a sad commentary when we're no longer willing to have the Lord be ruler over us? I mean, after all, when you think about Genesis and you think about how God created man in his image, we belong to him, even if we are not believers in Jesus Christ. We have to remember that we belong to him. We were created in his image. God created us, and therefore it behooves me, it's my responsibility to get to know who this one is that gave me life. And once I do that, I also come to, need to come to the understanding that when he offers me salvation because of my lost state that I chose, when I chose in my rebellion, when you chose rebellion over being submitted to the will of God, that created a problem, didn't it? And, there, and therefore, we, des- we deserve hell. We deserve judgment. And not because God is insecure, but because he's a holy God and he demands perfection. And you and I, because we are not perfect, cannot give him that perfection. And that is precisely why Jesus came, the only perfect spotless lamb of God who took the price, who paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. And that sacrifice on the cross, God the Father had respect to. And he looked at that and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And everything he does, I put my stamp of approval on. Wouldn't that be a great thing? At the end of the day, for the Lord to do that, and it's possible in Christ, even in our imperfection, because when we, conf- when we sin, what do we do? Do we wallow in it and continue to perpetuate it? No, when we sin, we confess it, just like the Bible says, and the promise is there that if we confess, he is faithful then to do what? To forgive us of all unrighteousness and then to cleanse us from that thing, and he'll never look upon it again. We may look upon it again. And, but God will never look upon that confessed sin again. That specific act, he'll never look upon it again. Because that's what he promised. And that's the efficacy, the, 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 the power of the blood of Christ. And so these Pharisees, they come to him. And he's very, he's not easy with them at all. But he says, I indeed baptize you with fire under repentance, but he who is coming after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in his winnowing, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And we looked at that last week. And we are those, the grain that is, that is gathered at the threshing floor. When the Jews would, would thresh wheat, they would take the wheat and they would do this with it. They would take the head of the grain and they would do this. And the chaff would fall off and then the grain would fall onto a, a mat or some kind of large thing that they could gather it up. But the chaff would just blow away. And, and they would do that at the, on the top of hills where the wind was blowing making it easier to separate the grain from the chaff. And folks, you and I are that grain. And he's going to gather us into his barn. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to be with him forever. In spite of the things that you know about yourself, in spite of your sin and your, your failures, we need to come to Christ and confess those things. And he will bring us to him. But those who are unbelieving will be the chaff that will be quenched up. And we remember we looked at that. That was a baptism of fire. And that's going to come upon the unbelievers, not the believers. 
And so finally we get to verse 13 of this, and it says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John excuse me, tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And notice, then he allowed him. And then verse 16, when he had been baptized... Notice, when Jesus had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, like a dove, and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you think God is, is, is blessed with the Son? <laughs> I think he is. Now let's go back to verse 13 here. It says, These, Then Jesus came from Galilee. Remember, Galilee was in the northern part of Israel where Mary and Joseph, who uh, Jesus' caregiver, uh, where they lived in Nazareth. And remember that Joseph was a carpenter. And so Jesus, from the moment of 12 years old up to this point in time, was submitting himself to his mom and dad, more than likely working with Joseph as a carpenter. So Jesus was a strong man. He wasn't this effeminate thing that you see on all the pictures. No, he was a man's man. He was a strong man. But now there comes a time at 30 years of age, we believe, when he would come now to John at the Jordan and be baptized of him. And John's gospel tells us that these things were done in Bethabara or Bethany, and the exact location of this place is not really known, but it's north of the Dead Sea, somewhere along there where the children of Israel crossed over during the Exodus. Somewhere in that area there was a ford. A ford is a shallow place in the river where the water's not running so hard and there's rocks and, and it's shallow enough where they can actually gather around and have a baptism like this. In fact, Bethabra means house of the Ford, not the Ford F-150. And you guys are going, yeah, it's Father's Day. F-350, Hemi. No, this is the house of the Ford, this very shallow place. And this is where John was doing these baptisms and and so um, Jesus comes down, and, and uh, you know, one thing we need to look at in this last few verses is, is the fact that no other king in history fulfilled the office of king, prophet, and priest except for Jesus. All three of those offices, king, prophet, and priest. We know that David was a king. We know that David was a king, but he was also a prophet. He penned many of the Psalms, the majority of the Psalms that we have, and many of them are prophetic, and many of them even, more importantly, are messianic. When we look at Psalm 2, when we look at Psalm 16, or Psalm 23 through 25, when we look at Psalm 40, Psalm 109, Psalm 110, to just name a few, all of these are messianic, prophetic psalms. So we know that David was a king and he was also a prophet. In Acts chapter 2, remember when Peter was speaking on the day of Pentecost, what did he tell the people in Jerusalem? It tells us in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 29. Let me read it to you. He says, men and brethren, let me freely speak to you about the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us today. 
to this day, therefore, being a prophet, notice that Peter, under the influence of the Spirit, calls David a prophet. Yes, and he was. Again, many of the Psalms were prophetic, God using him. So David was a king, and he was a prophet. But what about John the Baptist? He was a priest and a prophet, wasn't he? We looked at Luke chapter 1, and we looked at the lineage of of, of uh, John the Baptist. We know that his father was Zacharias. His mother was Elizabeth. They both came from the line of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi. And so John the Baptist himself, had he not gone out into the desert and, and did this ministry of this, this bringing the children of Israel to repentance in preparation for Christ's arrival on the scene, he would have been back with his father Zacharias attending to the temple needs and the services in the temple. So John is a prophet, and he's also a priest. In Matthew chapter 11, remember what it says. It says that Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? Did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed with fine clothing? He says, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet. And he would go on in verse 11 of that same chapter and say, Assuredly, I say unto you, among those born of women, there has not risen a one greater than John the Baptist, but he who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John was a prophet. He was also a priest. But Jesus, and we're going to see him in this passage today, fulfilling his role as priest. We know that he was a king. We know that he was a prophet. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, what does it tell us? When Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, remember Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews then? And Jesus said, it is as you say. Does Jesus ever say that he was the king of the Jews or that he was God in the flesh? Yes, he has. Here's a good example. He is the king of the Jews. He is the long-awaited prophet. He is the Messiah, the Logos, the word of God come flesh. And Revelation, it tells us in chapter 19, verse 16, excuse me, at the second coming of Jesus to the earth with all of the redeemed, with you and I. What does it say? And he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, and here is his title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is king. Even in the prophet Daniel, written in Babylon, several hundreds of years before Jesus would come to the forefront. Know therefore and understand, Daniel 9.25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that literally in the Hebrew is Messiah the King. That's literally what it means. Jesus is king. Is he king over your life? I hope so. And I hope for every unbeliever in the world that Jesus becomes king and savior over them. And he is a prophet. He is a prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, you can write this down. I'm going to read it to you for time's sake because we're going to take communion today. But he's a prophet. In fact, he is the prophet, specific the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, it says, God speaking through Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet 
uh, raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, Moses says. From your brethren, him you shall hear, and according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken to you is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren." And will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So Jesus is the prophet, but he's also our high priest. Hebrews, what does it tell us? Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. See, the Levitical priests, when they began their ministry, they began at the age of 30, and they were consecrated by water and anointing. And we see that in Leviticus. In fact, let me just read to you something in Leviticus chapter 8. This is very similar to what Jesus went through, but I want to make a point clear here, is that what the, what the Levites went through as they were washed and as they were anointed, because we're going to see that David, or excuse me, Jesus was baptized with water and he was also anointed by the Spirit. They are different, okay? We have to understand that they're very different things, but there's a similarity here that is obvious because we see that God is allowing Christ to fulfill that role as priest. And we'll look at that more shortly. But no, what does it say in Leviticus? That Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. This was part of their consecration before they would continue their duties in the temple. And, uh, and he put the tunic on them and he girded them with, with sash and clothed them with a robe and put the ephod on them and girded them with the, the, um, the woven band of the ephod and with it they tied the ephod on him. And then down in verse 10 of that chapter it says this, that Moses took the anointing oil and we know that oil is symbolic of the Spirit of God, isn't it? And Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And then he sprinkled some of it on the altar and anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the laver and the base to consecrate them. But finally he anoints, he pours some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So Jesus was also anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was not washed uh, in, a, in a ceremonial way like the, like the Levites, but he was baptized with water. And then when he came out of the water, the Bible says that it was then that the Spirit of God came upon him, anointing him, just like very similar to what we see with the priests of Aaron. And so Jesus is our high priest. And in undergoing John's baptism, Jesus was acting as our sin-bearer. Sin bearer, but we have to make a, a, a very important distinction. Jesus' baptism did not pay the price for our sin. The fact that he was baptized was not what paid the price for our sin. That was phase one, if you will. 
But phase two was Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And that was the ultimate and final stage where the, the plan of redemption would be brought about and Jesus would secure for us salvation through his blood. And because Jesus was crucified on our behalf, we are to crucify our old nature as well, aren't we? When as he was baptized and laid in the grave... And as he rose again from the grave, when we are baptized, we are putting to death this old man, this, this rascal <laughs> of our nature. And what does it tell us in Romans? Does anybody have a sin nature here this morning? Raise your hand if you do. You know, I, I hope all of you raise your hand because that is a requirement. That is the prerequisite to heavenly, your heavenly classroom is the prerequisite is, I'm a sinner, 101. I'm a sinner. I was born in sin. Paul tells us in Romans, do you not know that as many of us that were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And that is what Christian baptism is. Very different, remember, from John's baptism. John's baptism being one of repentance. But when you and I are baptized today, we are baptized into Christ, which is certainly a baptism of repentance, but even more so because we are baptized into Christ's death and we are risen in newness of life just as he was resurrected. And here is the the encouragement for us today because in Colossians it tells then, if then you were raised with Christ, and here's the challenge of this. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. And Christian, we need to do that. We need to set our mind and our eyes on the things of heaven instead of all of this horizontal stuff. And it's very natural for us to do that, isn't it? To look at everything because we live on this terra firma. We live on this earth. And we have struggles and trials. We see things coming. We have fears and insecurities. All these things are very real. And and, and we don't need to act like they don't exist. Let's just be honest. But the more we get our eyes focused on him, the more we know his character, the the very character of Jesus and God, it's going to make all these things not really such a big deal anymore. They are, don't get me wrong, but you understand what I'm saying. These fears and things can wipe most people out. Many people are on pills. Because they are in, they're, they're so distraught in fear, they've got to cope with it somehow. They've got to take drugs. They've got to have alcohol. They've got to be engaged in illicit sexual activity with many partners to quell this instability, this instability, this fear, this angst in their life. Do you have days like that? Where you feel it, you feel the angst, you feel the fear. I do. (laughs) Do you find yourself being a little unnerved by all the things that are going on in our country? If you're alive and you're breathing, you ought to. And you will. But where do we go? Where do we go? Peter said it the best, Lord, where can we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. 
Is there anywhere else to go? People, yes, they go to those other places and and they don't do them any good. They're very temporal fixes. Shooting heroin in their arms in San Francisco or in here in Rochester, New York, wherever it is, it's a temporary fix. And it's a lousy temporary fix. That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.